Welcome to the Read Optional Podcast here on the Gridiron Network. We are taping this first thing on Wednesday morning, and I'm joined on the line by Nicholas McGee from Stats Perform, a contributor to Gridiron as well. Nicholas, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, Ollie. Uh, a lot better now it's not as hot anymore. <laughs> yes, yes. The, the heat wave over here has died down, which is very nice. What is hotting up? Unbelievable transition. Um, <laughs> The quarterback competitions in the NFL, that's what we're going to get into today, is dig through the different QB competitions that are taking place in preseason, and then kind of cast our eyes further into the season to see if there's some breadcrumbs of where there could be competitions that develop over the year. Um, and I added that in because, frankly, the, the actual competitions, quote-unquote, are pretty boring this year. Um, I'm interested in Desmond Ridder and Marcus Mariota. I'm not sure that everyone in the world is. What's more interesting is to get into whether uh, Joe Flacco can fend off Zach Wilson's impressive comeback later in the year. But we'll get to that stuff. We'll get to that stuff. Um, we'll start with the ones that we know are competitions. Uh, the place I wanted to begin was in Carolina. So I'll just throw the throw it open to you. Uh, what have you made so far of... Are we going to include Corral? I'm not sure we really should at this point. It's kind of Baker, Donald... What are your thoughts? I really don't think we should include Matt Corral, given he was fourth on the field against Washington behind PJ Walker. So I can really watch a great deal of Matt Corral. I'll be brutally honest there. Uh, so I don't think he's in the mix, despite them weirdly trading a, a third round pick next year to get him. And then I mean, we could spend all day on that plan. Um, it's going to be a big job to lose. And I think they, the game plan against Washington was designed to try and make him look, look as good as he could. It gave him lots of easy buttons, I think, um, in, the, in the couple of series he had against Washington. It was quite simple. There was a, there was a stick early on. There's a new mesh concept. He had a nice downfield ball um, that was broken up to Robbie Anderson. Um, yeah, lots of play action, lots of 11, 11 personnel, stuff that's right in his wheelhouse. I think it just showed that it's, it's his job to lose and they're going to make it as easy for him as possible in preseason. The thing that was weird about them, just holistically, Big picture Panthers stuff, right? When we, like you said, we could get into hours on how they tried to construct this roster and particularly that position. There's something weird about that offense, right? There's no rhythm. Both guys were just crushed all day long, and it's week yeah, one of the season. The blocking mechanics of their run game, Michael, insert beep, is completely. I don't know what is going. Like weird, weird blocking structures that genuinely don't make sense at the pro level. And Ben McAdoo, who's running the the offense now, people who have forgot that 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 new story, the rock star OC they hired to run the ball more was Ben McAdoo hired explicitly to run the ball more. And some of the structures in the run game, which is hard to get across in the podcast that I'd have to detail for you with, with video, is mental. That stuff does not happen in the NFL. Then you go into the passing game. And none of the none of it flows appropriately. I don't even mean concept to concept. They're running all the stuff everyone's running. You you detail them there, right? Stick, mesh, dagger. It's everything we always we, everyone runs. It's as if they have no concept that the routes should work function as one, right? They have a deep shot early in the game with Baker. It's quarter quarter half coverage, right? Quarter of the field covered, quarter of the field covered. Another DB is covering half the field deep down the field. What you want to do is attack the quarter section, right? That's where you can puncture through it. They're trying to figure out who's got who, who's got who, and then do you clear it out? Do you drag someone away? There's different ways to attack it. And you want to hold the half-field guy, make that guy work in an ocean of space. They set up a play three by one. There's a backside post attacking the, the quarter quarter section, right? That's the ideal play call, a deep post. Puncture between the two. You have a natural leverage advantage on the outside guy. He doesn't know, do I take him or not? You angle out. He thinks, okay, it's my guy. Oh, wait, no, it's not. He's flipped inside. Perfect design. What you don't want to do is bring the guy in the other half of the field to the game. It makes no sense. 
The whole point is to run a deep comeback, some kind of nonsense that just says that I have to keep eyes on the other side of the field because there's three receivers there. I'm not sure how they're all going to break. The middle quarter guy is going to drag some kind of in-breaking route, right? And then we have a perfect hole where the boundary corner playing one quarter of the field has the wrong leverage on the plate, right? Really simple stuff. They bring the guy from the opposite side of the field into the quarter because they run another deep post, deep breaking thing from the half side of the field. Now, that is fundamental basic football stuff. Right? It's really, really simple. And it's something that if is not built into the construct of the defense, this was shown as in pre-snap shell. No one moves in preseason, right? Washington showed that pre-snap. If you don't have a quarterback who can ID that and figure that out, that is a massive, massive problem. And I say all that to say, all of that nonsense people don't care about is that I think Baker takes what you give him, like you said. That if you design open guys and guys are flying and crisscrossing everywhere and there's someone open, I think he can get rid of the ball on time, you know, pretty efficiently, can get the ball out. I don't think he's in any way the playmaker people thought he would be coming into the NFL, me included. And then I think Donald is a playmaker. Donald misses all the easy throws and then hits two. What the hell did he just do throws a game, right? And it yeah. kind of keeps you tantalized, like, ooh, maybe we should put Donald in. So to me, it's like they're so fundamentally broken stylistically. I don't even think it's fair for Baker to no. be in that offense because I don't think it suits his skills. Yeah, and you see, you said mentioned about the protection. He was still there was a there's loads of times where he was already running for his life, having to overcome it and make the yards of a scramble, which is not something when he was healthy he had to deal with uh, in Cleveland behind that wall. So it's a real kind of adjustment for him. And then when you put uh, Donald behind a crumbling offensive line, it's uh, it's it's not fun to watch, but it it can be kind of amusing because he's an awful awful quarterback against pressure. So I think. <laughs> It's kind of Baker's by default, I, I guess, because Donald's not going to look good consistently. He had the the kind of the wow throw to Higgins on the touchdown against Washington. It was really nice touch, and a nice placement on that ball. But it's just going to be too many errors. He's going to look so bad behind that line for him to any, to really threaten Baker in any way, despite Baker being hamstrung by what you've just detailed. I, I still think there's a bunch of issues with Baker. Though. I, there's something weird with him that the footwork is all wrong. I mean. Michael can insert the clip from the last time I did this with him. It's like some of the stuff in the back end days in Cleveland was a horror show. And I assumed he would go away, break it all down, get with the quarterback coach and, you know, come back at least in preseason week one. You know, when the bullets start flying in week three and there's all creative defenses, you think, oh, shit, you, you know, your, your foot can go, your feet can become a mess. Yeah. In week one, for it to be just as frazzled, he just moves his feet too much. It, yeah. It's He looks constantly, constantly frazzled. There is so much wasted movement. And his accuracy vanishes. I just, I I went into that game thinking Baker, I, I think he should win that job. I'm kind of just like shitting on Baker, which I apologize for. Like we're supposed to decide between the two of them. I do think Baker makes more sense. That My concern is just that I think Baker could have been a good player this season somewhere. And I don't think this is the somewhere where he can, he can be the true uh, showing of Baker Mayfield. Yeah, there's a, there's a team I'm going to talk about later that probably loomed to me as the one where he probably should have been. But <laughs> yeah, it's Caroline. It's 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 Matt Rule's final year. Everybody knows that it's probably not going to end very well. I don't. It's, it's he's on a hiding to nothing, but he's he's going to win the job. He has to make the most of of not a lot. Even though there are some decent skill position players there. So, in terms of the competition right now, you're saying Baker is ahead of Donald, and you think his job to lose. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you can't win. I think. Running into the when you when you're fighting to save your job, 
putting Sam Darnold there behind that offensive line after already seeing that when the, in, in the second year where you were in charge is I mean that's just malpractice <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's the Simpsons quote the uh, default the two sweetest word in the English language that's what makes us uh, winning by <laughs> um, alright let's move to Pittsburgh um, I have so many issues with the desire of that offense too I, I might get into that but I'll let you start again we've got Kenny Pickett We've got Mitchell Trubisky. Um, I saw a lot of online commentary about how good Pickett was. I didn't watch the game live. I went back and watched it afterwards. We can get into it. Where are you at, Pickett versus Trubisky? Well, it sounds like they're promoting Pickett based on recent reports. He's he's suddenly getting uh, reps with the ones. Um, I watched a bit of Kenny Kenny Pickett this morning. Uh, He's okay. He is what he was at Pitt. Um, He can be accurate. He's certainly not Joe Burrow, as people have compared him to. He can make some plays on the move. Um, when it looks good, it looks good. Um, he's not underwhelming. I don't know if somebody can be whelmed, but that's what you, that's what Kenny Pickett leaves me with. He <laughs> leaves me fairly whelmed. That's the, that's uh, the that is the perfect thing. It's like everything is okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. But there's just not that oomph. No. Yeah, you you've always left wanting more, and it's and it's it's not that. Um, but I have less issues with Pickett than I do with um whatever the hell Matt Matt Canada is doing with that offense. Um, particularly when Trubisky is on the field. This is a guy who's supposed to be motion-heavy offense, but it just seems like it's a lot, of mo- a lot of motion for the sake of it. It doesn't achieve anything. There's a lot of, oh, we'll move this tight end over here, or we'll move this receiver here, and Seattle, whatever day it was, just, just shrugged and said, okay. <laughs> that didn't really affect the defense in any way, shape, or form. And it was just, whenever Trubisky was on the field, there was nothing like, we know what Trubisky is. He has a lot of faults, but when you give him a defined read, you can hear it. Like they had one play, it was a uh, play action over out Gunnar Oshevsky, I think that's how you pronounce his name, former Patriot. He put him in a really nice anticipatory throw. Perfect. There was, there, was none, there was none of that the rest of the way. It was just, it was just a mess. There was, no, there was nothing there. It was just, it was a, there was no coordination. It's similar to the, the Panthers. Nothing seemed to complement each other. There was one example, I think it was a third and four, his second series, I think it was the final play of the game. So you, just want, you want something quick, keep the chains moving. It was three go-routes and a stop-out underneath. None of them were open. The pressure came really quickly because Pittsburgh's offensive line is terrible. He had to bail from the pocket and made an incomplete throw on the move. And it's just, it's not, it's not playing to strengths. Um, and then you had Mason Rudolph coming in and comedy and shoot. Um, <laughs> it seemed to me because when Pickett came in, they got him on the move. They cut the field in half. They gave him a few reads where they can make easy throws on the run. They start using motion more effectively. They had a massive gain on the motion. Guy came across the formation carried the ball, got it from Pickett, and took it 40 what? yards. Yeah. yeah. It seemed to me... If it they then tried to repeat the very next drive and got yeah, smoked. Because <laughs> Matt Canada has no sense of saying, okay, the 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 end crashed, he, 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 uh, he surfed it, right? He came crashing and the yeah. guy went flying behind him. Okay, yeah. so the next time he's going to sit down, they actually scrape the exchange. I know I'm getting too nerdy for some people here. They scrape the exchange with the linebacker behind. They both tried to leap into the same gap, essentially, the, the off-ball backer to that side and the end. Yeah. They were playing the fly because they just got toasted by the fly and got bollocked on the sideline, basically, for, for playing the fly. So what do you do? You run the fly and you obviously you zone it back the other way, right? And there's just a chasm of a hole. Not Matt Canada, man. Matt Canada's like, I'm running the fly again. That hit, that one hit. <laughs> it just seemed to me like, I feel indulge a conspiracy theory. They were setting one QB up to look really good, pick it. <laughs> and setting the other two up to look pretty poor, which Mason Rudolph does excellently because he, the, the first play he came on, he didn't sense any, there was backside pressure. He didn't sense it in any way, shape or form and nearly lost the ball. But it, it seems like they sit there we're going to play Pickett the hell of it, and we're going to make him look good. We're going to make Mitch Trubisky look terrible by giving him nothing. No, <laughs> I, I just don't know. I I keep saying, I don't think, I mean, look, 
people know that I had like I was not in on Kenny Pickett at all. And I will say I thought he looked comfortable. He operated the system well. I mean, it was all throws to the flat, like you said. It was all movement stuff. It was guff, basically. You cannot run that stuff you know, regularly in the NFL. It's just not going to happen. What is so baffling to me is the spacing of their offense is just non-existent. Now, I know they want to be condensed. Everyone wants to be condensed, but it's the, it's how they distribute the routes. Now, we're moving to the two-deep world. Everyone knows about, right? It's either two-and-spin or two-and. It's a two-deep shell, usually some kind of cover four quarters, quarters match, something like that. The way you have to puncture that, moving forward is either you got to push someone back and drop someone underneath drag someone out throw them behind or you have to make it very difficult to read in the fly so you're getting a switch release at the line of scrimmage which is the most common thing right okay the back guy switches with the guys uh, at the top of the route and then you would re-switch in the route right because they've got so much time and space to see because there's two of them and then they have to exchange and figure out okay who's picking up who they do none of this stuff no. None of this stuff. They make life so easy for the defense. Now, they move a lot, obviously, and everyone loves motion, but there is a logical extreme of motion, which Matt Canada has been searching for his entire career. Like you said, it's just motion for motion's sake without necessarily there being a point to it. And it, that, that what they ran was not a professional offense, and it's no slight on Kenny Pickett, who, I, like I said, I know people think I don't like Kenny Pickett. I just don't rate him as a, as a long-term starter in the NFL. Everything is so isolated from one another, which makes no sense when the core function of their offense, like you said, their identity, quote unquote, is supposed to be movement and confusion and motion and shifting. Well, then why do the routes not interplay with one another once you actually get into the play? And everything with him just feels, you know, we'll come on to Desmond Ritter in a second. I was so impressed by Ritter in terms of everything was so fast. He was anticipating a ton. The ball was out. Now, he made some awful plays. He had the the lowest lows and the highest highs, I thought, from of the yeah. rookie guys. But the, you could sense the click of him knowing the speed of the game. With Kenny Pickett, now, he would regularly complete throws along the sidelines. They gave him a lot of low percentage throws to the sideline, right? A lot of individual comebacks, curls, that kind of thing. There's like a weird hitch in his step, but it's not even in the feet. He will load the gun and then he just like wait to beat and then lets it go. Now I think you can speed that up, but he's just very mechanical and robotic in everything he does. Whereas yeah. like you watch Malik Willis and it's so slingshotty and everything just feels so much more natural than to throw the ball. Yep. This is what I like. It was like a pit. it was effective in college and they won a lot of games, but yeah, it looked like it was hard work, which is always just not what you want ever. So. I do like they ran Bill Brim. It's one of my favorite RPO concepts. It's the inside zone with the quick out. I think they ran that like 25 times. And I'll give Kenny Pickett his due because the one thing that was said about him coming into the league was that he can at least run the offense, right? Um, and they were taking um, like landmark throws that a lot of coaching staffs call them. Some call them access throws, which is you basically fail on the uh, run action of the RPO. You kind of don't read and weight it, which is how those plays are designed, right? Stick the ball in the belly of the back, read someone, either you hand it off or you throw it. The, the access landmark throws is, oh, there's a ton of green grass where the route's going. I'm just going to rip it before I even do the what would essentially be a ball fake. Um, so that kind of that, that's pretty high-level stuff. That's like the stuff that you want. You know, That's something that you would have to probably tell uh, Malik Willis, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson... These guys who've come in the last few years, you probably have to tell them for eight weeks, you know, you can just grip it and rip it. You know, you don't have to carry out the run function of the RPO. Um, so that that stuff was pretty impressive. It just something about him seems uncomfortable. And throwing from the gun, quick game from the gun, three-step game from the gun, is supposed to be his comfort zone. 
yeah. and everything just felt a little bit like he didn't feel comfortable. Now I do not blame him because his offensive coordinator seems, you know, seems to be out in the sky. You know, I don't know what is going on with him. Um, so I, I think they quite clearly, like you said at the top, they want Pickett to get this job. It seems like to me, um, understandable. Um, and I think he's, I think he's pretty ready based on that to function an NFL offense from week yeah. one. It's just unfortunate for him that the thing he's been put into is, is a bit of a mess. Yeah, I mean, he was arguably probably along with Ritter one of the most pro-ready quarterbacks, and I'm not sure what me what that meant in this quarterback class. It's just gone whether that actually meant anything. But yeah, for me, it, this should have been the Jimmy Garoppolo team, but they they seem they seem determined to tie their mass and tie Mike Tomlin's 500 streak to a quarterback who may be ready. But um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a big risk if they are actually planning on contending in a really really tough division. Let's move to the Falcons then. This is a really interesting one because I think the it's got the the classic design of the you bring in the veteran guy and then you do the handover to the rookie week four, mm-hmm. week five. Just whenever you have that spark in the morning, you answer something right in the film room, you go, okay, this guy's ready to start now. And the thing I've always liked about them pairing Mario to and Ridder is one my comp for Ridder all the way through the draft process was Mario to they they have such an overlapping skill set that you don't have to you know, worry about anything. For one week, it will just click where Ridd is the right guy, and you don't have to change anything about the yeah. general design of the offense. So to me, it seems less of a competition, and it's Mariota until they think Ridd is ready, whether that's 1, 2, 17, next season, that they have built this kind of offensive style, and they'll just slide from one to the other whenever they think the young guy's ready. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Ridd is a slightly bigger guy, I think, but yeah, it's the, the very similar in how, they, in how they play the game um and you could see what they were while atlanta was trying to do with mario in, in this couple of series he had against the against the lions um fair amount of pistol uh, so clearly going to try and in, in, implement his legs you can see you saw it in the classic pistol and with the offset back that was used quite a lot still saw the alpha smith play action stuff as well but it's, yeah it seems like they're going to try and make the most of what mario can do on the on the ground and Ritter can do that as well so it would be a pretty nat- natural transition whenever it comes the thing that's Slightly different about them. When I say where when I say they are similar, and the crossword skill set is they're both straight line. They're both fast mm-hmm. in a straight line. So you've got to get them to the perimeter. Basically, yeah. they're, not, they're not wiggly in space athletes. Even though not they're Malik <laughs> no, they're not Malik Willis. They don't make guys miss. Yeah. They're fast and they run in a straight line. And then they both want to get the ball out now. Mostly, they're, they're not going to sit in there and read, 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 beat, read, 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 extend, extend, extend. They want to get rid of the ball. Um, which is a pretty good thing now. With Ridder, I will say the difference is he's not as precise as Mariota. Mariota's really, really precise. Now, whether is he good and aggressive? Not as good or as aggressive as you would want him to be, right? It's almost frustrating. You almost want him to hold onto the ball more and to try and create and extend and make some plays. Ridder's not as precise. You know, there's the throw to the back of the end zone off boot. The um, you know, it was a really tiny guy, to be fair. If he hits that, then it's a, it's an unbelievable play. But it's that one that is, again, it's just three inches wrong. And that was constant to him with college, where it's just slightly behind someone. He's accurate. He gets it to the right people. He's just not really precise. And it's how much you're in the modern NFL. You know, how precise do you have to be in the modern NFL? Ideally, you'd say, yes, you do. Mahomes is precise. Rodgers is precise. The great ones are. Can you scheme around, at least in year one, a guy who is can get the ball to where it needs to go, but isn't exactly the, the guy who you can just say, drop it into the back shoulder bucket on third and 10 and give our guy a chance. Yeah, and that's, like you said, that was exactly his problem in college. It was so often that Cincinnati when the ball was just behind the receiver. Um, I think the way that the Falcons may try and 
kind of mitigate that is obviously they've got <laughs> when both are healthy they've got two absolute behemoths with massive catch radiuses and Drake London and Carl Pitt so that <laughs> that could render that a little bit moot but um yeah until until you see otherwise I think Mario has that position that he could be more he could be more aggressive but he it looked it looked pretty comfortable for him I don't see any reason why they wouldn't go into week one with Mario at the minute but as we've seen in the past Mariota is uh, liable to give the job away and I, I want to give some credit to Arthur Smith because I've criticized him for 12 months straight, basically, for running what was an embarrassing offense for much of last year in terms of the the Jenga stack of things, of the fact they couldn't time the snap correctly was the thing I always pointed to. Their motion and the snap was not tied together cohesively, which is a bizarre thing to allow to happen for extended weeks. I was pretty impressed by what they put out there now i don't know if they they kind of shot some of their bullets they should have saved for the the regular season but there were some really cool creative things they had the fake zone with the uh, after the interception they run the, the the screen off pistol basically where they fake the zone one way and then they bubble it back the other way some really cool stuff 25 percent of their offense as you mentioned was run from the pistol now listeners know that i don't need an opening to discuss the pistol I, I, i've written a massive screed about that already this offseason, I think that that's going to be one of the narratives of the year schematically, that the pistol will be back in vogue. And Arthur Smith is all in. I'm not just saying Arthur Smith did good stuff because he did the pistol. I'm not saying Arthur Smith subscribes to the read optional, though he may do. Um, some kind of burner account there from Arthur Smith. Um, but I was really impressed generally. That, they, that was, I thought, the best game plan tied to the skills of the rookie that any of these teams did and to me it's no coincidence that his highs were as strong as anyone's it's gripping and ripping it deep down the field too you know he was not just playing underneath football he was ripping it down the field and then the lows were there also because he's a rookie and he's just kind of being consistent yeah it was understanding a what his skill set is and be understanding this guy played in relatively like pro style offense in college at Cincinnati and something he can he can do this stuff. He's a bit a bit like Pickett, he knows how to do this. He doesn't need like he doesn't need telling, he can just let it rip. So I think it was an understanding of both his kind of intangibles and his his, his skill set at the same time. Uh okay we'll finish off with the ones that we are dubbing as current competitions um with the Seahawks. Um Gino Smith versus Drew Locke, which is a real sentence I just said um in twenty twenty two. I I am as much of a sicko as anyone when it comes to football. I refuse to break down the all 22 tape of Geno Smith versus Drew Locke because it's just meaningless. Um, but this is going to be Geno Smith's job. I mean, it seems pretty, pretty well set. I mean, Drew Locke came in, they were all excited. They saw Drew Locke in a minicamp and they said, we're going back to Geno Smith. And he was meant to be getting ones. He was one uh, reps with the ones, sorry, uh, this week. And he meant to be starting a preseason game and then he gets COVID. So it's uh, it seems pretty set in stone. It's going to be Geno Smith. Um, I didn't watch the Drew Locke half of this. I did watch the Geno Smith half of the All-22 and was just came away annoyed. Um, <laughs> a maddeningly hesitant quarterback, I think. I just wrote down that it wasn't Geno versus Steelers. It was Geno versus processing. Just just holds the ball so long. He's probably the opposite of the video on the picket. He doesn't let it rip. And I don't know. I don't know what he's got to lose in a pre in a preseason game. He's, he seems to be caught in two minds constantly. And it's he's so hesitant. I know the Seahawks offensive line isn't maybe not a mess it was in the past, but it's tough to think if you roll him out there, he won't get you in alive with how hesitant he is when he's playing actual defenses in the regular season. Um, and at least. Unlike the Steelers, I know the Steelers won the game, that's meaningless. Um, the Seahawks kind of know who they are. They're going to run the ball, they're going to give it to Rashad Penny, and they're going to give it to Kenneth Walker when he's healthy, and they're going to try and hit the place to DK and lock it. But 
you're just hamstringing yourself so much if you're rolling Geno Smith out there. And I know that was kind of the plan almost because they're probably looking to Bryce Young or, or CJ Stroud next year if they get a, a good high enough pick. But it's, it's going to be very tough to watch if this is who they're going with. What's funny with them, I do think they'll move the ball. Now, I think there might be 20 turnovers or you know 50 combined between Gino and, and Drew Locke over the course of the season as they inevitably do the, well, he's been terrible, let's give him a drive. He's terrible, let's give him a drive next week. Um, with that run game, which I think can be pretty good. Um, yeah. I love Charles Cross. I think he's going to be unbelievable in year one. Um, like you said, Lockett and Metcalf, you should get really easy buckets outside with those two guys. I, I, I would... Their ish, biggest issue as a team is they're not good enough defensively to be this bad at quarterback. That, yeah. That's how you end up with the first pick. Is yeah. Given how bad they are at quarterback, they should be good on defense. Like Those two things usually offset one another, or you are the Jags and you end up picking first overall. So that that's kind of the big worrying element there. But I do think they'll move the ball on offense. It's just whether or not those guys can avoid turnovers and base in their careers that they cannot. Yeah, and there was some good throws from Gino downfield when he did let it rip and he did saw the open guy and hit it and he hit it on time. And it's just it's just not consistent in any way, shape, or form. All right, let's move to the fun stuff. Okay, we're gonna do the um the teams who we're gonna follow the breadcrumbs as I said and try and figure out which teams might find themselves in some kind of quarterback controversy, whether that's because of injury and the other guy coming in whether that's long-term plans whether it's because you you have Carson Wentz on your roster I am not here to say particularly why these guys could find themselves in a, in a quarterback controversy but I think it's interesting nonetheless um let's start with the Titans you know Ryan Tannehill is, is so much better than he's often given credit for the issue they have this year is that offensive line is terrible at some point Derek Henry will start creaking their offense is, was a just tire fire last year in terms of design um and then you watch malik willis and it was i thought really really impressive he did some really nice things in a way i did not expect there's the great shot of him coming out of the boot play right where his center just gets whiffed off the snap something you very rarely see in the nfl just gets murked off the snap and he plants the back foot turns around he's not expecting anyone to be in his face he sees the flash of color and he dances away and goes picks up four, five, six yards, just something Ryan Tannehill is not able to do. And with them, I do feel like there's, there's a world in which Tannehill is good. I'm saying that up front. Tannehill's good. I don't expect this to happen. But there is a world in which by week eight, they're, they're not very good. I think they'll be good defensively, but let's say they get some injuries where they're not very good, and they decide to boot on the end of the Tannehill experience and try and get ahead of the curve by saying, let's just throw Malik Willis in week 10, week 11, week 12 to try and get ourselves ready for the new era next season. Yeah, like they've kind of ran into the ceiling a little bit with Tannehill. You saw that in the playoff game last year when he wasn't he wasn't good. When he's when he's good, he can be very very good. But but you do, there's a there's a ceiling there, and I mean you don't know you don't know how low the floor is with Malik Willis, but there is definitely a ceiling with Tannehill. And they could they can move on next year. They can save like like over over twenty million twenty million dollars by moving on from Tannehill. And there's there's stuff in that. Available to Willis just isn't available to Tannehill. It's just he's he's Lamar esque as a runner. It's not. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that. And you say he can evade defenders just in ways that not many people on the planet can. Um, there are still some issues with that you saw in college at Liberty. He's not really run a kind of pro style offense before. His, his processing was a massive problem, and that's still uh, still kind of creeped up in the preseason game. We're not just letting the ball go against and when he saw open receivers underneath, but. You can coach that stuff uh, while Santa Hill keeps the seat warm. And if 
you're in a winnable AFC South, he's not getting the job done, then you can certainly see, well, let's, let's inject Malik Willis into this offense. Let's put him let's put him in the backfield with Derek Henry. Let's throw Trail and Burks in there for you guys who can really run the ball and just do, and do all sorts of damage and see what we've got and try and do something different. And then often that can, that can pay big dividends. Yeah, his big thing to me, because it's funny because we all say that the pro-style offense and he's never been in the center and all that, and then you watch these guys in week one and it's all perfect. It's like... Yeah. These guys are really good, and you give them six weeks, and they've all been training basically since they left college because they go through the pre-draft process. Running the boot fake is not that hard. Now, mm-hmm. is it tied appropriately to the mechanics of the play? That's up to the offensive coordinator, the QB coach. But the actual physics of making sure the offhand is on your gut and the ball's extended, it's pretty much that simple. <laughs> Once you figure it out, it's hard to turn you back and reassess the field. Um, that is the difference for a lot of these guys. They go from seeing the whole field the whole time to turning their back and then having to, to rescan. That's the big problem. And for him, it's more, I think, that he played in a chuck and dump system at Liberty where it's either it's going long or the dump was usually I'm taking off or I'm just throwing it underneath. It's the the classic layering stuff with him over the linebacker in front of the secondary, particularly as we see all the, the two deep shells. You've got to be able to punish the middle of the field over a linebacker, basically, or you hit unbelievable shots to the perimeter at that second level and was it i can't remember was it picked he had the out right he had the out from the slot was it yeah. picked or uh, dropped the pick i can't exactly remember um but that was a great example of yeah he's just not there yet and that is like you said the processing being able to move people with your eyes knowing when to let it go he had it early then he panicked then he still wanted to throw it because he was like shit i should have thrown that and then he threw it late and that's obviously how you get intercepted in the nfl so there's a lot of stuff still for him to learn you know, Tannehill is so good that there's no need to even consider starting him this year if you don't want to. But like you said, the things Tannehill does well, which is get the ball out on time to the right guy, and he's an unbelievable throw of the ball down the field, which he doesn't get enough respect for, are things Willis can learn. And Tannehill cannot learn the things that Willis can do, which is he's a better athlete than everyone on the field. And he's massive, by the way. Uh, even at Liberty, it was hard because he's so clearly the best athlete, right? He's a Division One athlete, not playing in Division One football, basically. I was stunned when they did the wide zone, the end zone shot of him on the All-22, and he booted out of the... Remember, was it the first play of the game where he, he does the... They all run naked boot for some reason with these rookies in the first play, <laughs> and he throws it and the fullback drops it. Yeah, yeah. Malik Willis is wider than his fullback substantially. He's a massive, massive guy. And I know yeah. we see them through the combine, but until you see them lined up with, you know, guys who are going to be playing on Sundays, it, it really took me aback how big he was mm. given how nimble he is. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's a world in which they, they, they move to him and they, they eject on Tannehill if they're not, if they don't feel like they're neck and neck in the running for the South. Yeah, I mean, it's, t- it's tough to see on, on a screen how big NFL players actually are, even college football players actually are. I remember being uh, like, the Super Bowl was on Radio Row and Debo Samuel there, and he doesn't look that big on, on, on TV, but he's he stand next to him and he's this guy's an absolute tank. How is he so fast? And that's the same thing with Miller Willis, like you say. So he, he doesn't necessarily need to dump it off to his fullback. He can just let it go yourself, and you can probably get 10, 15 yards like you NFL players are more prepared to, to absorb the contact than a lot of like, Division II college players are, but it's, when you're that big, you're going to pick up yardage either way. I would like him to get out of bounds. Um, he absorbed one massive shot where he just ate it and was like not fussed, which is cool and a very nice visual, but also please get out of bounds because these guys are also really big. Um, let's move on to the commies. There was a lot of preseason football in that game. Um, 
<laughs> what what is this disaster class? Is that you know how there's the the master class stuff that I constantly get adverts for on Instagram, which must mean I, I search for self improvement things. I'm guessing. Um, I would like to start QB disaster class um, and just run through that game. What a horrific game of football! No one could block anyone. All the blocking mechanics were wrong. It was great, but I will say I was fascinated to see Sam Howell in a true progression read offense. He came from, again, a chunk and, a chuck and dump system in North Carolina, the most RPO-dense offense in the country. True old-school Baylor Bears football where you've got sleeper routes, so you can go quicker in the no-huddle. Just nonsense that only works in high school and some levels of college football. Um, I, I was impressed in this yeah. speed of how he moved from uh, one read to the other, how quick he was at snapping back from one side of the field to the side. That's a, that's a big tell with these guys, particularly in the modern game, when you have to work from one side of the field to that backside dig play, which is like the play in football at the moment, basically. How quick can you snap and let it go? That you see it in one flash, that you're reading and releasing basically in, in one move. Um, it's not easy. It's not easy. And I was really impressed with how 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 it operated from the pocket. No, I agree. I... Definitely agree with that. Um, I watched the Howell side of this. I didn't watch the Carson Wentz side of this because I've I've had my fill of Carson Wentz, where I don't need <laughs> to need to. Howell was always the more interesting um, side of this, and like you say, he looked he looked assured. He looked like he was processing quick things quickly. He was moving. He was even on the move. He was making quick, smart decisions and was <laughs> making most of his legs, which is what he had to do a lot last year at North Carolina. Cause he didn't have any playmakers whatsoever after all, both running backs and Deami Brown left, and now he's got Deami Brown back, and he's got potentially throw him into the first team offense of this and you've got a quite a, a decent amount of playmakers in Washington. So once Carson Wentz does Carson Wentz things and starts to look terrible, which he inevitably will, it might not come to week 18, but it's, as it did <laughs> last year, but it will inevitably happen. And I think that this could be a, a lot more of a competition than people think if it starts to go south, particularly given the situation in Washington where Ron Rivera yeah, he made the playoffs a couple of years ago, but they haven't had a winning season since 2016. This, this team and this coach needs to win. They've committed themselves somehow to Carson Wentz, believing he can help them do that. But outside of 2017 and 2019 in Philadelphia, when it wasn't great, um, there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that, that that will happen. So you get a few games of a slump, which will inevitably come, and somehow it looks like he could potentially put him under pressure. I agree with you. I Look, at some point, Wentz is going to go off the cliff. It's the Wentz inning. It is yeah. bound to happen at some point. Like you said, is it going to be week 18? That's the hope. Like What happened last year was the best possible situation with Carson Wentz. I'm sorry, it's just the reality. They somehow hid him for much of the season. He got unbelievable turnover. Look, during the game, they flashed up Carson Wentz's stat line from last year. The most fraudulent stat padding <laughs> in the history of the game. I mean, he must have thrown 50 turnover worthy plays last year and he wound up with I can't even remember the numbers like eight it was like a mad number of interceptions he ended up with and he threw yeah. most of them in the final two weeks um mm -hmm. when all that stuff just regressed the mean and it, it found him out at the end of the season so, uh, so he, he's gonna make errors and it's just whether they have the cojones because they made the trade to, to dump him at some point and try and inject mm -hmm. something special with Sam Howell what's funny is I wrote in my notes he reminds me of Ryan Fitzpatrick way more than I ever expected he would do, mm -hmm. which is funny because he's the ultimate right turn to the bench gunner. Like, Carson's not got it this week. Throw it to Fitz or whatever. <laughs> um, and how it reminds me of that. He is, he is a really, really good runner. And I think that it was consistently forgotten during the draft process. And you particularly saw it on that game. He obviously scored the rushing touchdown. But when, any, when anything clears out, he is ready and willing to just take off immediately. And I think that that is a weapon 
that Carson Wentz is not going to bring there. Um, and, and it is why I think that at some point during this year, it will be a real conversation about whether they should turn to Howell. I think, I think pretty early in the season. Yeah, um, so they're in, I haven't looked at their schedule intensely, but they're in a, they're in a, a very good Eagles roster. The, Cow- the Cowboys might take a step back, but they're still a much better roster than, than Washington are. Um, they lose a few games. <laughs> I wouldn't hesitate if I was on Rivera because you, you're not in the Matt Rule situation, but your job's potentially on the line here because there hasn't been a lot of winning. The thing that's really hard to get with Washington right now because we're in preseason, um, I like Scott Turner there. I see quite a lot, a lot more than, than most national people do who don't don't watch him an awful lot. Um, they do really cool stuff in the run game. And there are specific ways to help Carson Wentz out with what he does because he just doesn't process things very well. And you can hide certain elements because the way they made him read things in Indianapolis did not play to his strengths in any way. And you can change the reading system to include... Uh, I did a podcast with this with Mark Bullock, I think, six months ago or something or whenever the Wednesday trade went down, whatever that was now, four months ago, you can mirror concepts in a way and use unmirrored concepts in another way to help him out. The, the Colts run a lot of mirrored stuff, so you bounce from one side of the field to the other and they're kind of independent. You can do some unmirrored stuff and stagger the reads where they're constantly flowing the reads into your eyes, so it's naturally as you move across the field, the routes are coming to you. Um, now it's a more constrained style of offense, right? It's all flowing to one side of the the field basically that with a clear out uh, piece there so it, it kind of lowers the ceiling but it would raise the floor for Wentz and I'm interested to see if Turner does some of that for Wentz so if he does that and Wentz is a bit better um, then maybe we don't see him but I'm just looking at the schedule now as you yeah, mentioned to try and find a date so home to Jacksonville they will want to win that at Detroit they'll think they should win that Home to Philly, split, probably Eagles. At Cowboys, tough. Home to Tennessee, split. At Bears, they would think they should win that. Home to Green Bay, they'll win that. And then they go to the Colts for the the, the return. And after that, then you've got Minnesota. That feels like the time. If if they're not very good and went self-implodes on the road in Indy, it feels like week nine Minnesota. Mm -hmm. Is because then after Minnesota, you, you've got Philly, Houston, Atlanta, New York by New York. That, that's a pretty nice, yeah, a nice run to get a rookie in to win some games, and then then he gets the bye to kind of have a decompressed week and work on stuff before the final stretch of the season. So that that week nine there, mm. or, or week eight, I should say, when they go to the Colts, feels like a real pivot point uh, of what we'll see. Yeah, I guess yeah. If the revenge game goes Jim Irsay's way, then. Uh... <laughs> 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 it could be looking at a switch. All right, the last couple we can wrestle through. The Vikings I've got down on my list, um, which might surprise some people. I, I, I like Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins played really well last year. He corrected a lot of his mistakes. Um, but there's definitely a world in which this isn't Kevin O'Connell's quarterback and in which they start deciding, similar with Malik Willis, we're going to have to start looking to the future. Shall we see what we have with Kellermon? I don't think it's any knock on Cousins. Cousins will be Cousins. And that where Cousins falls in the pecking order kind of depends on everyone else. <laughs> if guys have bad years, he doesn't actually float up. He just is him the whole way through. Um, but I can see a world in which we, like late in the year, if they're not in the playoff race, so they should be, some mm-hmm. Kellermond. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like you said, this is not Kevin O'Connell's guy. He's, he should fit Kevin O'Connell's system. Um, he shouldn't be any problems fitting into it, but he isn't his guy. Um, and they've got one more. They have one more year of him after this. Um, 
they still can't cut him that contract from nightmare they've got nearly 49 million in dead money, dead money next year so they still can't cut him um or unless they figure out with, with some other team um but yeah he's, he's not his guy um you're not going to pay him again he's gonna be 35 um so you want to see ideally what you what you have in Kellen Mond and there were, there were certainly flashes in the preseason game against the Raiders he's um he can make some plays downfield he's similar kind of to to Ridder in that I think he's not fast but he can run so you've got that, that kind of element to the offense that Kirk doesn't have I mean Kirkland isn't a bad athlete but he's certainly not he makes plays with his legs regularly um so yeah it's it's a team that's right on the fringe. They should be in the playoff race in the in the NFC, but they we saw it last year. They can just go and Vikings things up like it did in Detroit and <laughs> lose that game, which we could see coming a mile off. And then it's just whether Kevin O'Connell can engineer a defense that's a lot better than it was last year because they weren't great last year on defense, um, and whether they can have that floor with Cousins and not have the kind of howlers that can keep them in the playoff, get them that, in that seventh wild card uh, place which they should have been in the mix for last year really if not for a few kind of games that have fell on the face you mentioned o'connell there what do we think he's going to run because i don't really have a handle on whether it's going to be the style that took the rams to the super bowl which i wrote about this week on the read option i'll include it in the show notes because it's funny sean mcveigh's style last year was basically fractured it was not well designed right he he was constantly trying to solve the riddle of the new style of defenses and he's sean mcveigh so he's very smart so he came up with like nine different solutions and was just throwing them out bit by bit and they end up just saying we're going stafford from the gun and then they couldn't get the run game to work at all and it was completely broken by design basically um so is he going to run the one that helped him get win the super bowl or is he going to run the greatest hit to the McVeigh era, the early, you know, the early portion, wide zone, then boot stuff, that is exactly what defenses have schemed up en masse to try to prevent at this point? I think if you're looking for that floor, which is what I've said like 17 times in this podcast, um, I'll probably lean towards a lot. Primarily because Dalvin Cook can be so good at those wide zone runs that I think he just it create it gives it makes things a lot easier on your quarterback and your offense as a whole because the amount of times when he's healthy, which is a massive thing for Dalvin Cook, um, you can see him break those consistently for 20, 30-yard gains down the field, and that can be such a like a boost to your offense. I think that would make more sense to me rather than having the constant changing to try and fit their offense to a quarterback like the Rams are doing with Matthew Stafford last year. The problem I think they have is their offensive line stinks. Yeah, who um, is that? Yeah. And it's easier to hide them in empty. You know, they they fell in this really crappy situation last year where they were in the gun the second fewest amount of times in the league, but they were in empty um, like in the top five amount of times last year. So basically, whenever they were in the gun, they were in empty. And that's interesting because... Kirk Cousins doesn't strike me as a guy who has kind of the point guard skills to routinely drive you down the field from empty. You kind of have to be pretty special, you know, talking Brady Rogers to just be in empty all the time and pick people apart from the pocket. It's not easy to do. What it did do is allow him to crush the blitz. Kirk Cousins has been sneakily awful versus the blitz for a long time and particularly terrible versus perimeter blitzes because when you're in a condensed formation, which is what they're in, it's easy to conceal 
the slot guy flying off the edge and Cousins just was blind to that stuff and would just get lit up. When you go in empty, obviously, you completely limit the, the pressure menu unless it's a zone pressure. And if it's something coming from the perimeter, he can just see the whole field and it, it makes it easier. So that's all the good. Now, it's the age-old question that I've asked throughout the offseason, which people will probably be bored of at this point, is how do you tie what has to be some kind of two-back run game, whether it's actually two backs or a tight end and a back, with your empty and do you end up like the Rams bouncing from one offense to another which in theory is a wonderful thing you want to have multiple offenses week to week to unveil whenever you need them but it's just a completely broken rhythm when you go two back empty two back empty and I don't know you get that accordion offense I don't know how Kevin O'Connell solves that when he doesn't trust his offensive line and and that I think is the big problem yeah, and they've thrown so much at this offensive line as well over the years. Well, there's a lot of first round picks in there. Darius or you Garrett Bradbury's, and it's oh, just it's, so it's just been no, there's just been no no sense of like consistent progress up, up front. So it's a really difficult riddle um, that he has to solve, like you say. And then the old kind of not to be old tradition, I I would tend to lean towards putting like. Making life easier on your on your on that on that line and letting them run block block and still kind of leaning towards kind of going a bit more of the uh, the Shanahan way rather than McVeigh and kind of putting it on your run game when you don't when you don't trust not that you don't trust your quarterback in this situation but maybe trust your offensive line. All right, I'm going to throw out to you the final four teams I had on the list. Again, these are not present competitions; these are could get fruity during the season. Okay, <laughs> you tell me. Which one you think has the, the chance to be the spiciest? Okay, so we have two New York teams. We have Daniel Jones and Tyrod Taylor. There's a reason Tyrod Taylor signed with the Giants. That's all I'm thinking. In in Miami, we have Tua and Teddy Bridgewater, which we can get into. The Miami fans just threw their phones into the ocean. Uh, there's the Jets, as you mentioned. There's the Zach Wilson situation with the injury. And the Joe Flacco here, you know, he has a chance those first three weeks of the season. If all the Jets fans are correct and all these offensive pieces are great, shouldn't Joe Flacco be pretty okay in that system? And there's the Saints where we've got Jameis, who everyone loves, you know, the, the ultimate gunner with now this new defensive-minded head coach who you know by week two is going to say, bleep this, let's Matt rule our way through the season. I want to run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And maybe he could look to Andy Dalton. Which one? Do you think has the chance to, to be the most interesting? I'm gonna make Dolphins fans throw the phones in the in the ocean, like you said. <laughs> I think it's Tua versus Teddy, and I purely think this because they have invested so much in this going well that they can't really afford for it to go wrong. So I think Tua ends up on a very short leash, um, given the amount of playmakers he has around him. If he can't. If he can't perform when they're, they're telling your offenses to his strength, they're not going to have uh, Hill running vertical, not going to have Jalen running vertical. They have horizontal horizontal stretching the, the defenses that way, and that should play to his strengths in getting the ball out quickly, relatively accurately, and letting them run after the catch. If that doesn't work, I think it quickly becomes a lot of people calling for Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, it's funny because they did the opposite of the Desmond Ridder Mario thing. They were like, let's go get the exact opposite guy where just in case this thing is completely broken because we don't trust the quarterback, at least the other guy we know can throw the ball to the spots we want to. Yeah. I wrote a giant piece in this for the Gridiron Annual. It's available on the Read Optional too, about how you kind of blend Mike McDaniel's traditional style with Tua Tugavilo and how difficult it is for them to try and find a middle meeting ground without just being incredibly predictable. 
Mm-hmm. And what it's going to have to be is Tua taking strides as basically an intermediate throw of the ball. And if you do not punish the intermediate area, one, with the two deep safeties, you're in trouble anyway. And in that specific offense, that's where you get all your payoff plays is obviously over the middle of the field. If Tua's not the guy to do that, and I actually think he can be. I think the numbers are a little bit muddy um, because of the style of offense he's played. And I think with Chan Gailey, he was actually pretty good in that area, um, which I didn't include in that piece, by the way. Um, so I should have done. Um, whereas that's where Bridgewater kind of makes his hay. Mm-hmm. He just destroys the middle of the field on uh, an unusual clip for someone who's considered like just okay. So I I, I think that I, I'm in on Tua, but there's absolutely a world where in week four it just isn't happening for them. And there's only so many excuses they can make before they all start looking at each other like, should we just put in the guy who we know is competent and can yeah. do it? But then you're in this thing of, do you want to, do they want to be seen as a staff as either pulling the, the lead so early or having mistrusted Tua because everything has been about Tua, right? They've not even tried to hide from it. They are like, we're rolling on Tua. They've not tried to make it like, a, you know, we'll see, we'll see. It, it would be pretty pretty tough to pull him early yeah. to go to Teddy Bridge. It's not like they're going to a rookie or they're going to someone like Fitz who could make stuff happen when he was there. They're going to Teddy Bridge, which is basically waving the white flag on the season. Yeah, it's a really it's a really interesting one. I think the fact that they now don't have a first round pick makes it a little bit more complicated. Because even if you're if it's going badly, you can't really just commit to a kind of tank and that well, we'll get we'll, we'll get ourselves in a position where we can land one of these quarterbacks. You now just have you sorry you now just have the Niners first round pick, which is probably likely to be in the set in the second half of the draft, you would say. So you're not really going to be in a position to kind of tank your way to another quarterback having given up on the one that you tanked for in the first place. So it's really difficult. The optics can be really difficult to sell. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that, that team's just dying out for some kind of successful season with this. That it, it, there is a definitely a will now week six that says, screw the optics, we're going to go for it. So we'll see what we can piece together with Teddy Bridgewater hitting the intermediate, intermediate of the field and letting Raheem Mostert run the ball and see if he can rip off what against if he stays healthy. Of all these decisions, this is the most political one. This yeah. is the one that has the biggest impact in the building, um, which is pretty tough. Maybe the Tannehill one is pretty... I mean, he's been really good for them. That would be, that would be pretty brutal, and I, I don't think that one will happen. Um, this one would be this one would be rough in the building. I, I was just looking through, by the way, let me just say, you accused the Dolphins then of tanking when Stephen Ross has said he was clearly joking <laughs> that the, the, all the cash he offered everyone in the building to lose games. It was just just a wonderful joke from noted stand-up comic Stephen Ross. Yeah. Uh, just looking through the DVOA figures now, so the down-to-down efficiency. Given the skills, skill talent they have, and that coach, it would be impressive to not be league average. Like the, mm. the the absolute minimum should be just 16th in the league. We're pretty efficient, and we've got these two special guys, Waddle and Hill and Gasicki, who can make big plays too. And we hit some explosive plays. So really, it really is all there for Tua. It's like if it if not from yeah. the get go, it probably just isn't going to happen. And I've been a big Tua supporter, but I think we'll know really quickly. Yeah, and I'm I'm in on Mike McDaniel as well. I know mean, he hasn't called plays because Kyle Shanahan never lets anybody call plays, but he had he played an integral role in design, not just the run game, it was passing game coordinator last year in San Francisco. So this is a guy who knows how to draw stuff that will work, particularly for quarterbacks that don't throw downfield very often because he was working with one last year. <laughs> so it should be all set up for two. For two. 
All right, then. That'll do it for this edition of the podcast. Nicholas McGee of Stats Perform contributed to Gridiron. Thank you for doing this. No problem. All right, anytime.